standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to talk to you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Being a mum is great. I mean, notwithstanding her very dubious views about women and football and the fact that the term terrible twos is simply not representative of the length of time associated with that particular terror, I'm having a bloody lovely time mumming. But mumming is also relentlessly challenging and impossibly difficult at times, not to mention the fact that from the day they are born, you become the most emotionally vulnerable you can imagine and you're set up to eventually lose your children to adulthood, all being well. Michelle Winstanley realised that mumming wasn't the sugar-coated dream she'd been sold after she gave birth to a much-wanted child in her late 30s and wrote a play about her experiences and those of others at different stages of their motherhood journey. Her play, Broken Water, is now being shown at the Arcola Theatre in Dalston a decade after she wrote it and directed by Nicola Samer. I chatted to them both about the highs and lows of being a mum, the losses we incur along the way and how much, or indeed little, has changed in the last 10 years when when it comes to representations of motherhood. I had a lovely time chatting to them about their experiences and I hope that you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed talking to them. I'm joined by Michelle Winstanley. Hello. Writer of and Nicholas Samer. Hiya. Director of Broken Water uh, Play, which will be shown at the Arcola Theatre in Dalston from January 30th to February the 24th. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us again. There's a clue in the title, but could you tell us a little bit about the play, please, and what inspired it? It's a play written from experience. I'd had a long break from writing. And um, I, in fact, didn't really want to go back to writing, which I'd stopped because I'd just got married and wanted to focus on having a baby. And then I ended up going to a best friend's birthday party. And one of her other best friends is an astrologer. And as a gift for all of us, uh, she did a reading for all of her guests. And of course, I sat down and she said, well, you know, of course, you are a writer. And this was after I tried to kind of leave it because it is incredibly lonely and incredibly hard to, to be a writer. But anyway, I drove home that evening and um, the idea cropped into my head to write the play, which is, it's not an autobiography by any means, but it's based on see, quite a lot of lived experience in that I had got married quite late, met my husband quite late and had to sort of crack on with having a baby, which is something that I'd always, always wanted. And then I found that it didn't happen straight away wasn't going to happen straight away. So I had all of those emotions that you have when you're trying for a baby, longing for a baby. I'd had uh, IVF, which didn't work. And I, I was just sort of settling down to the idea of not having ha not having a baby. I'd been told to go, you know, get an egg donor. And I, we'd had a long think about that and decided we weren't going to do it. And, you know, I, I was devastated. I was grieving that role, which I'd probably, even from a very, very young baby, just having a tiny tears and really getting into that sort of wonderful bubble of, of maternal instinct. You know, I, I didn't really know what to do with myself, and I just felt very keenly that, you know, my identity was tied up in that. Uh, and then long and the short of it was that I did get pregnant, but it was essentially my last good egg. And so then I went through the pregnancy and had the baby, and I was 39 when I had her, and it was quite a shock absolutely knackering I was absolutely knackered I had a baby that woke up every two hours and in fact woke up every night for eight years and I just didn't find myself enjoying it as much as I thought I would and so my reflection on that was oh uh, you know of course there is this 
well because I love my daughter I love her like I can't even describe how much I love her but the truth is is that it's, you pay a huge price in being exhausted in not being able to get out the door and so on and so really I wanted to write about that sort of Rubicon that you cross before you're a mother and then after your mother that you can't really win so in a way to summarise, it's, it's kind of, it was the idea that really you're, you're fucked if you don't because you're just going to be living, feeling that you should have. You're also going to have people saying, you know, you just got married, you know, have you got any kids yet? Are you pregnant yet? And then once you do have kids, one isn't enough, actually, by the way, I have got one. So it's like, have you got just the one? Are you going to have any more? So you're slightly sort of fucked if you, if you do because then, you know, you have to take it quite a while out of, work to raise them and childcare issues and all of that and then there's one more element to it because this is a three-hander with three interwoven talking heads and that is the love thing because because for me love is is hugely tied in with you know that sort of pain I, I don't i can't explain it there seems to be a pain the love that you feel is so painful and i think it's because it's just fear of losing them fear of loss and essentially you fall crazy madly in love with your babies and your children and then you know with a certain knowledge that they are going to grow up and leave you you know or perhaps even worse so it's a play about the dichotomy between whether you do or you don't and even if you do and even if you don't you know there's this love to deal with this sort of aching love you are fucked if you do and fucked if you don't but oh, this is a bit dark but my daughter she's three and a half now and when she was teeny tiny baby Sarah Everard was murdered by serving policeman Wayne Cousins yeah. and I remember the statement that her mother made in the court case about how she smells her robe and she said that she yearns for her and I I honestly can't really think about that without getting you know, no joke, because you'll start me off. We're all rather febrile at the moment. <laughs> because it's it's the yearning thing, isn't it? Like that. I remember saying something, putting something about it on Twitter, and someone replied to me and said, "Isn't that what motherhood is? Yearning yes. for your children." And I think there is that, isn't there? But then on the other hand, you know, I I would say I was very very crap at having romantic relationships prior to my daughter because I had all sorts of anxieties and you know issues and whatever that would cause me to like self-sabotage relationships sorry this is a massive overshare we've only just started no, but, um... I've, I've done a massive one i've started you off it's it's good i like it let's go there i can't wait <laughs> but i think like what i think what motherhood has done to me is like the jig is up i'm emotionally vulnerable all the time now and actually that's made me a bit better at other things i think i'm so glad you said that because i think that is what this play came from it was that yearning it was the realization that you, you can't really get away from it you, you can't from whatever side of the motherhood sort of i think of it as as a room with a door in it that's there the whole of your life if you're born you know female and you you've got sort of a womb and ovaries and what have you you've sort of almost got this door in the corner which says motherhood and you've got your, your, your little tiny tears and your dollies that you play with and one day you might open that door and go through into motherhood but you know, it's a, it's a yearning, no matter sort of almost what side you're on. Because if, if you want that, and also, of course, the point has to be made that many women want it and can't have it, and many women don't want it and don't want it and get it. So, I mean, there is a little bit of covering of that as well. But it's just that thing of, of the yearning is kind of always somewhere. 
around this issue. I wanted to ask you, Nicola, what attracted you to this play? I've had two kids. I have um, a five, uh, well, nearly six-year-old son and a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter as well. And I was sent the script. And I think, um, as a director, you get sent, um, unfortunately, I get to read lots of amazing work and new writing and stuff that's canon as well. But I just couldn't put it down. There's something in all these stories that's so relatable. And I think what it does is convey three stories that perhaps aren't spoken about, touches upon subjects that we don't talk about as mothers, the things that are uncomfortable, the things that we might find challenging. A conventional version of what motherhood is. But of course, those sort of stereotypes don't necessarily fit into every family. We've got all sorts of families now. The conventional sort of model of families and how people become pregnant and um, surrogacy, so much more common. And I don't think that there's a lot of material addressing that in the way that Michelle's stories beautifully do. It's a really positive thing for us to be challenging the notion of what motherhood is and what a mother is. And yeah, it's not all chocolate box, Stepford wives, white picket fences. Like, it's messy, it's painful. We're all not perfect all the time. And I think, yeah, my, and, and my experience of motherhood has been all those things. And I think it's good that we're all able to speak about it because it's not neat, it's chaotic. And it, sometimes it's wonderful, joyous chaos. Sometimes it's challenging chaos. and. You know, here, here we are, three women who've all got careers at the same time, and how that fits in um, to, to the modern mum as well. You know, we're in a system that has childcare that doesn't support necessarily working mums. Yeah, there was so much within the play that just spoke to me and certainly was challenging the conventions of what a mum is that really just drew me to the script. And I couldn't put it down, which I think is always a good indication of how great a, a, a play is. And my... Um, wanting to do it. So Michelle, you wrote this obviously a while ago now. It's a three header, so you've got women of different ages. And I think it's quite interesting because you've got a woman who is later on into her motherhood's journey. One of the themes of it is about loss and what you lose when you're a mother as well. And I thought that was really interesting because we do hear quite a lot these days about how difficult it is to be a new mum, you know, all of the challenges of like early childhood and, and, and looking after kids then. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that theme of loss and how that is particularly relevant to women with older children. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, we've got three three characters. We've got a, a, young, a younger one, a middle, middle sort of, not middle age, I mean, she's in 50s, I would say. And then we've got a wonderful older character, Olive, and... Um, I don't want to kind of give too much of a plot away, but Olive is our older character, and I just love her. I think she's my favourite character. Um, she's, without wanting to give the plot away, she's she's struggling with, obviously, she's, as many, many older women are, she's um, a widow, and she's just very much sort of missing her son, you know, missing the children that she did have in her life, and almost kind of not coping with that. So we just see her going through the process of resisting resisting therapy to try and come to, you know come to terms with with her feelings of depression etc and uh, then the sort of all of them in some way you know they've had to compromise and uh, they they're all very resilient women i think um the audiences will, will enjoy the fact that it's got so many different angles to it as play it's got 
something something for everyone. <laughs> no matter where you are in life, no matter how old you are. And I'm quite proud, actually, to have written a play with three such strong and interesting female characters. And that's why part of me is actually a little bit allergic to saying it's a play about motherhood, because actually it isn't just about motherhood. It's actually about women, uh, three really interesting women, and we get a snapshot of their lives. The fact is it's three interwoven talking heads as well, which I think there's something about monologues, even though they're not flat, heavy monologues. There's a lot of business and action going on that actually draws you into their worlds in a much quicker, more effective way. And it's they're quite intimate stories. You know, we're, we're, we're invited into their subconscious, into their minds through the monologues. And, and so it's an intimate subject told in an intimate way. And you really do get to know these characters don't you Nikki it's 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 just I think we're all in love with all three of the characters in this play <laughs> it's, so I'm quite it's such a privilege to be able to have three so rounded characters who are so different and to be able to explore them because I think you're and it's such a gift from Michelle to have these three characters and a, a play that is about women because I think so many of our protagonists are men and even just the way that the story is written, that there's three protagonists, which in itself is a paradox, <laughs> if you will, because um, but they are they're the sto- it's a story of three women who can support each other, and I think perhaps it fits into a different model in itself of playwriting that these stories can all exist within the scope of one play and all be a focus, whilst each of them supporting one another which I think in itself is a really fantastic dramatic device that Michelle has written. What do you think, Nikki, about that that theme of loss? But I often, like, say to my mum, how can you even bear to look at me? <laughs> how can you bear to look at me? <laughs> knowing that, like, looking at my daughter and knowing, like, what, what an absolute little sweetheart, and terror, obviously, she is, but, like, how cute <laughs> she is. I'm like, how can you look at me? I don't, like, without just being desperately sad that I'm not this gorgeous little thing anymore i think that's sort of largely unacknowledged in society in a lot of ways i wonder what you thought about that i think you can't have one without the other like you can't have love without loss one of the characters in the play says it's philippa that says i i i'm i mourn that every version of you and i think there is there's the version of us that sits on our phone and looks at our kids and they grow up before your eyes but it's such a cliche but they really do because all of a sudden it's a milestone birthday and you can remember in the haze of sleepless nights and trying to feed and get a sleep routine in and get some semblance of normality in childcare that where did that one-year-old go and where did that kid go that was starting school and where was the kid that you know walked their sister into the gate they're still tiny humans but they know they, they can like my kids can stand on their own two feet now and sort of have their own like they have their own lives at their schools and part of me is so beaming with love for that experience that they're both having. But with that love is also, well, they're growing up. You know, they're this much taller. They have this much more experience. Their vocabulary, their experience has just grown exponentially. And some of that is without me now, which is exactly how it should be. But with that comes the pain and loss of, I think motherhood, particularly in those first six months well certainly it was my experience they're so dependent I felt very much like I couldn't do anything but I was very much attached to these kids I couldn't well one child was during a lockdown so I was very much in the same house 
there's a dependence and then all of a sudden there's an independence and you walk out. I think a lot of mums remember the first time they leave the house without their kids and they feel like they've forgotten something. Sure, it's really quick to walk to the shop without your kids, but like you sort of feel like you're missing a limb, people sort of describe it as. And they are always a part of you. And even as I sit here doing this, my kids are still part of me, but they're just going off having their own lives. And I speak for someone who... <laughs> Um, if I didn't mention my mum, because she's on the other side of the world. I grew up in Australia and, you know, that, and I think she experiences, uh, well, I don't think, I know, because she tells me a, a huge loss that we're not there and that her grandkids, thankfully, where she can see them through the luxuries of FaceTime. But there is a loss that comes with that love. All right, Mickey here with an advert for better health therapy online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Why fit it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution, in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up, and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit. But BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash standard so one of the points of the play is about the sort of all-encompassing nature of motherhood I, I mean i know having a child has made me think very differently about my own mum but i wondered if the play had made you sort of think about your upbringings i guess at, at different stages and the people that that brought you up has it made you feel differently about their role my mum always worked growing up, and I think that was, um, and she probably had kids for her generation slightly later. You know, she, I think a lot of her generation were having kids in their early 20s, and she definitely had a career and lived overseas and has always worked and has always enjoyed working as well. And I sort of grew up with that as a model. And so it's really, particularly now, being at that point in my life where I'm choosing between work and family and having to make those decisions, just that concept of 
that we've been brought, I think my generation has been brought up with, is that you can have it all, and therefore you must have it all. And this concept that you can be a mom, you can work, because all these opportunities are afforded to women, and thank goodness for feminism, but does that mean we have to have it all? And perhaps there are choices to be made, um, because like you, I thought that, that a child would just sort of neatly fit into whatever life my partner and I had already created. My first child was two weeks late, in inverted commas, and therefore, and I thought I'd be directing a play sort of a month after, but therefore I was directing a play with him two weeks old. And I look back at that version of myself with utter horror and madness, like what was I thinking? But what else was I meant to think? I didn't hear any stories that it was difficult. No one was talking about how the sleepless nights really affect the next day and how one day rolls into the next till all of a sudden there's just weeks that you've lost count of. So it's made me really appreciate what my mum has done, and certainly for us growing up, and maybe what a trailblazer she was. She's really excited now on the other side of the world. And, you know, and, and like, bless her, she, she's an incredible woman. She's, I think what you would probably call a seniorpreneur, she started her own business and was thriving and doing really, really well, you know, instead of retiring. And that's just because she really loves what she does. And kudos to her. But it does get back to that, do we have to have everything? Because we now have the opportunity to have everything. And is that the best version or the most effective version for and choices for my family? And still figuring that out. I don't know. It's a it's a day-to-day question. I think that's interesting. I'm not sure we can have it all. I think we can have a version of it all, but I don't think we can have it all in the way that we're told we can have it all. But that sort of brings me on to my next point, which is that obviously you wrote this play a while ago, as I said before, Michelle, over a decade ago. Do you think much has changed in that decade in terms of our perceptions of motherhood at all the different stages of it? When I wrote it, my daughter was about eight. And Mm. so the character of Philippa is in her 50s and she's facing uh, her youngest child just about to leave for uni. So I kind of predicted how it would feel for her. But now I am going to be 60 tomorrow. My daughter's 20. She's in her second year at university. And I'm, I'm glad to say that I was right. Uh, most of my predictions were right. All the feelings of, the, of what I thought they would be. I think, and also, by the way, the 10-year delay was four years of that was to do with COVID. I mean, we were about to sort of start rehearsals four years ago. And then COVID opened a trap door. So it had just taken a very long time to get it on. And um, my, my constant worry was somebody would would do something similar that would threaten my idea for play and and nobody did and in fact I would say that actually it serves play quite well that there's been a delay you know Motherland has come out which is is kind of such a brilliant show it's a wonderful funny show that shows that actually you know the real life of being a mother how we really feel about it is not 100% rose tinted enthusiasm and you know joy and satisfaction from making pat lunches and so on and so sitting through hot sports days so that it, it's much more acceptable i think now to be able to say do you know what it's not everything that i thought it would be which is what it was for me it was not everything that i that i thought it would be and i i don't know who created that idea that it would be this sort of lake advert or this washing powder advert for me and why i why i sort of fell for it so easily but i do think that maybe it's actually a better time for this play to come out than it would have been 
even four years ago, I think it's much more acceptable to, to be able to say the unthinkable, which one of the characters does. She just says, you know, uh, I don't know why I did this, and, you know, I don't think I'm a great mum, and, and so on and so forth. And interestingly, fun fact, you know, that was a very difficult part to write, that character. She, I struggled most with her, and I would say she's done a great favourite with people that have read the play or seen one of the readings. Because at the time, I had I was grappling with my own ambivalence. I, I hadn't really, because my daughter was eight when I wrote it, I hadn't really accepted that, that there was part of me that was still fiercely ambitious, you know, dripping with ambition for all of the aspirational goals that I wanted to have. You know, I wanted to write a successful play. You know what I, mean? I wanted to, you know, have this house or this beautiful painting that I'd done and so on. So I, I hadn't really said that out loud to myself. And when I finally did write that scene for that character, Philippa, where she sort of admits to us that it isn't her dream job, you know, being a mum, that was really hard to write, really hard. And I still, actually, if I'm honest, when it opens next week, and I'm still a bit scared of my daughter coming down to the Arcola and um, sitting there and then giving me the side eye when she gets to that scene. Because I do also, you know, we're back, we're looping back round again to this excruciating and very, very unending love that I feel for her. Of course I do. You know, we're fucked if we don't have kids, we're fucked if we do. But then there is also that love, which is a bit of a payoff, you know, because I, 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 I do adore her. And, you know, having a little daughter has been, you know, the best thing I've ever done. There's the dichotomy. <laughs> I think in the last 10 years, motherhood in inverted commas again has come along in leaps and bounds. You know, Lucy Jones has just written a book called Matrescence. Matrescence is a word that is just kind of coming into the conscious now. There's a lot of people that don't even know what the word is, this whole concept that the whole female body changes hormonally, physically, or the caregiver. It's not just necessarily the person who's given birth. And I think that book has been very instrumental as well as all the research that goes with that. I just remember a story of a friend who 10 years ago was breastfeeding a four-month-old in a pub in Hampstead on a Sunday lunch and was asked to go outside in the pouring snow and had to feed her four-month-old in the snow. And I just think that doesn't happen anymore. So there is a concept that is changing. We are changing our views towards mothers and what motherhood is. I just really love Lucy's book. And sort of reading it, there was so much that rang out to me and she talks a lot about how the concept like how we've been conditioned into this concept of motherhood and there hadn't been anything in the cultural landscape that talked about mothers and what a mother is and I just think Michelle's play is more relevant now than ever because we need these stories to be told these stories are relevant and these voices need to be heard and they are important it's been interesting coming back to it Ten, like in terms of directing it 10 years on I mean apart from having to change a couple of references thinking it needed to change mother care um, mm, yes mother of course <laughs> which was news to me and Michelle but um, the some of it is just so poignant even more so now which really speaks to the quality of the writing I think these stories shouldn't take 10 years like to, to get on stage they're too good that's another thing that I would say is that it really shouldn't have taken this long because I wrote it and then I sent it off and entered it into a few competitions to get rehearsed readings and it did get picked up fairly quickly. And then after that, I was sort of waiting for the offers, you know, for theatre to produce it and waiting and then waiting and waiting. So, you know, you do think, oh, is it because of the subject matter? You know, is it because of 
it, is it is what is it i mean it shouldn't take this long but then there is another if i'm honest another fact of which delayed it was, was that one of our producers got pregnant and needed some time off to have a baby i had decided to retrain as a sign language interpreter which isn't an easy quick thing to learn so that that sort of that sort of drift that we had to get the play put on sort of worked for both me and my my first producer emma sampson who is amazing i have to give her a mention she's had to go back to australia but she's still producing it you know we're in two different time zones she's still checking in australia but you know she had a baby she's now got two i mean the trustance element of it the mother element it hasn't stopped you know mine mine went from being eight to going to uni i've gone from being somebody much closer to linda and linda's story to being somebody much closer to philippa and philippa's story so but it really shouldn't take this long or be this hard and i mean thank you to nikki she's giving us her lunch break she's in the middle of rehearsing and getting us ready to 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 open on tuesday and there's one thing i just made a note of it that i want to say i really would love blokes uh men to come and see this i I really would like men not to be put off by the idea that this is a woman's play for women you know i've sat through enough movies and plays that have got (laughs) nothing but men characters in it Uh, so it's not an excuse you know there's so much out there with male protagonists almost 100% male characters, but it's no excuse, no excuse for you not to come. And if you've got a mother or your partner's a mother or your sister's a mother or or, or you... Yeah, but do you know what? I don't think men should have to see women's stories as extensions of their own in order to have empathy for them. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Or interest in them. Like you say, we watch enough men's shite, you know, I don't have to be like, well... I've got a brother, so you know, I like. I feel like I should be able to just em- empathise with those stories and have interest in them, regardless of whether or not I can see it as an extension of my own personality. So, if there are any men listening, and I, I will be honest with you, there aren't that many. <laughs> uh, Nikki, your directing credits are quite vast. You're also resident director for The Cursed Child. I wondered how different is it to bring something like this to a sort of smaller theatre like the Arcola what how different is that I mean the main difference is instead of working with sort of a team of 150 plus people every day we are working with probably a company of about 10 so that has its pros and cons but also it's really beautiful to be able to work in such an intimate setting the beautiful thing about Potter is that Jack John and Joe have written such a beautiful script and it is about being a parent essentially so actually there's a lot of similarities you know these stories are about what it is to be a parent and essentially although Potter is perhaps on a larger scale what is it perhaps it is on a larger scale and it has a lot of special effects at the core of it it is a story about what it is to be a parent and I think what Michelle has beautifully encapsulated in her play is the story of three parents and how they've come to their versions of motherhood and parenthood and how the protagonists in their own lives have affected their own stories. It's a huge privilege to be working in this way and this intimately because there is something about being um, we're in a space that's three sides, so the audience is on three sides, but three performers and there's, there's nowhere to hide. And what a gift these three performers are, Sarah Hadland, Naomi Peterson and Rosemary Ash, they've just thrown themselves into these stories and they've just been an absolute dream to work with. They're working up there now as I could probably get back, but 
they're um, they're just an absolute dream, and you know these stories are again get back to the quality of the writing. They're just re- able to be related to depending on where you're at on different versions of your motherhood journey. Michelle, I had one more question for you. You've mentioned before, so you're also an actress and a BSL interpreter. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that because our boss, Sarah Millican, she always has BSL interpreters at her shows. I wondered, is it as much fun as it looks? It is so much fun, mostly because it's probably um, sort of slightly dubious for me to say this, but I'm quite a nosy person. And um, the the jobs that I specialise in are out there in the community, so I'm often sort of in you know, hospital and GP appointments and, and stuff like that. So I get to pop in to the appointment, all the drama that's going on in there, whatever the, the thing's happening in, in the appointment is interesting, I think not at all boring, whatever it might be, and then I pop out again. So it's it's wonderful in that sort of fly-on-the-wall element of it, but it's it's also an incredible privilege, actually. My favourite, favourite ever interpreting jobs that I do, interestingly, have been births. So wow. today I've interpreted, yeah, today I've interpreted three births. The first one was uh, during lockdown. So uh, the parents were both deaf and it was an IVF baby and it was a cesarean. I had to put on the robes, you know, the blue gown and the, a full uh, see-through mask. And I I was there throughout her having an epidural and um, just, talk, you know, signing with them at, at the head end, if you like, that while while the baby was being found you know, through the cesarean. And then it struck me so vividly how similar to a play that is, actually. Because I was signing with the parents saying, you know, just hang on, you know, this is happening. And they clip a, a sort of, you know, they clip a piece of fabric up so that mum and dad can't see. Mm. Yeah, like a curtain, like they can't see all the blood and gore. So then they were like, are you ready? Do you want to have a look at this? So I was like, all ready, let's all look at this. They unclipped the piece of fabric. It fell down. Uh, there was a really strong spotlight on the baby who was halfway out of this woman's womb. It was just like a play. just like the opening of a play. Yeah. Ta-da! You know, and then out came this beautiful baby boy and it just blew my mind. It was one of the best jobs that I've ever done. I mean, it was right up there, actually, as an experience right up there with having my own baby and getting married and all of the, the life experiences. So, yeah, it wasn't easy to learn, I have to say. It's not an easy, easy language to learn. Um, but it's definitely well worth it. Okay. But very well worth it. And in fact, I am actually on the telly signing. I think it's going to be right about now or next week or this week. I'm in Silent Witness. I, I'd actually given up acting in 2022. And then this part came along. The agent said, you have to do it. So it was a woman aged 50 to 60 who is actually an access to work interpreter. So I was like, oh, well, what have I got to lose? And I... I put in a self-tape and got the part. So then I revisited that world, which was a head fuck, I have to say, because I was playing what I was, you know, what I normally do for my day job, but I was also having to try and act. And it was very much like sort of patting your head and wrapping your stomach at the same time. And all eyes on me as well, because the deaf actress had her own very, very good interpreters. And uh, probably much better than me so I was getting a that was hard it's a hard job but you'll see me doing my silly faces and flapping my hands about on silent witness <laughs> excellent uh so where can we follow you both on the socials to keep up to date with what you're doing next 
You can follow me. I'm Islington Lady on Instagram because I grew up in Islington and I love it, although I don't live there anymore. Um, and also I think I'm Michelle and Stanley on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at Nicola Samer. Okay, brilliant. Broken Water is showing at the Arcola Theatre in Dalston from January the 30th to February the 24th. You can get tickets via the Arcola Theatre website. We've got a seven o'clock start for this show. We've gone for a slightly unconventional time for our play. It starts at seven. So we're just, you know, and if people are interested to buy a ticket, then, you know, Arcola, www.arcola.com. Put it in your diary. It starts at seven. We don't want everybody missing the first scene. Thank you so much for joining me and all the best with the play. Oh, thank, thank you so you much so again. Standard issue for all women.